You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio. And it's sure it is not going to be decided on Fox News. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Tennessee Valley, this is, am I on? Good morning, Tennessee Valley, this is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, David Story. It is Saturday, January 30th, 2021, and we're broadcasting live online and on the radio on WVNN in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. A recording of this program will play tomorrow, Sunday, January 31st, 2021, on the great WGOL in Russellville, Alabama. Today, we are coming to you commercial-free, even though you heard that bit, we're going <laughs> to, that bit at the beginning, we're going to have to keep on that. Uh, we, we weren't able to get the, the commercials pulled out before the show, so we're going to be doing that manually, but we are coming to you commercial-free courtesy of the Alabama AFL-CIO, and we are talking to Molly Dice and Jenny Zundel, organizers with the IWW, about how do you do a union about it? We're going to be taking your questions. The number is 1-866-494-9866. If you want to go ahead and call in and get in the queue, we'll be taking your questions in the second half of the program. So make sure you make sure you uh, call, call in, folks. 1-866-494-9866 is the number. Thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate your time. Uh, if you want to see what we're up to throughout the week, get our snide quips about the news of the day, then you should follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Valley Labor Report. We're on Twitter at Labor Reporters. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore A-L. David is on Twitter at Radical Unionist. That's spelled R-A-D-I-C-L Unionist. If you missed part of the show and want to go back and watch it later, you can search YouTube for The Valley Labor Report and subscribe to our channel. We uh, stream the program. You can go back and watch the full show there. And we also clip segments and release them throughout the week. That way, if there's just one topic that looked interesting to you, you don't want to watch the full show, you can do that. We also upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting apps. So to see if we are on your listening platform of choice, you can go to thevalleylaborreport.transistor.com. .fm slash subscribe. And uh, we do have a website, thevalleylaborreport.org. And finally, if you appreciate our work and want to help us stay on the air, then consider throwing us a couple dollars a month on patreon.com slash thevalleylaborreport. Am I on? Am I on? Am I on? 
Yes. Yes, we're on. And uh, like I said, this morning, we are talking to Molly Dice and Jenny Zundel. They are organizers with the IWW. They are giving the IWW's organizer training 101 to the Huntsville branch of the IWW. They've been doing that for the past month Every Saturday from noon to three Central Standard Time, we've really David and I have been enjoying uh, what they've got to say. Uh, they they've been they've been doing a great job, and so uh, uh, Jenny Molly, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for asking thanks for us. having us. So, uh, y'all are organizers with the IWW. Y'all are trainers with the IWW. Um, can you tell us? What made you want to be an organizer? What made you want to organize your workplace and get so, you know, in general, what made you want to organize your workplace? And then specifically, uh, what made you want to join the IWW? Pick one. I joined the IWW because there's a campaign at my workplace, um, which is not how everyone comes to the IWW. Um, We pull from a lot of leftist organizations, but... We want everyone to organize their own workplace. Um, I also come from a union household. Almost everyone in my family was in a union. They're all teachers. And then before that, um, my grandfather was in UAW for a long time. And it just felt uh, lots of those things going on in the IWW are where I wanted to be. Um, There's a lot of ideals there that we're like putting into practice. Jenny, what about you? Um, I, I didn't join through my workplace. Um, I, so I'm currently in Seattle, but I, I joined, I'm from Montana. So I was living in Missoula. Um, and I have a, I have a good friend there who was encouraging me for probably about a year to join. Um, and then I, I had this, this horrible, horrible job, um, right out of college, um, in, in a nonprofit social service field. And it was just so, so demoralizing, um, and I, I ended up quitting that job and taking a job with the AFL-CIO. And I think on the same day that I took the job with the AFL-CIO, it was just like a canvassing job. Um, but I reached out to my friend and I was like, all right, I'm ready to get involved in the labor movement in the way that I went to, which wasn't the AFL-CIO. Um, so I joined the IWW. But it wasn't until I took the organizer training um, a few months later that I, I really understood that the IWW does materially improve workers' lives. Um, you know, we, we'd actually had a campaign going, so I don't know why I didn't see it, but it was this, this training that we're going to talk about was such an, oh, moment for me. It was like, this is so cool. And like, we do things and it just, it, it made so much sense to me. So once I took that training, it was like, from then on out, like, of of course, I'm going to try to organize any workplace that I go to next, um, and bring elements of that in. It, It just, it really clicked. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's uh, you said that about wanting to organize any workplace or, or, you know, if there's not a union in it already, you want to organize it. And if there is a union in it, uh, you know, you want to make it better, of course. And 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 that's something that um, I think a lot of people like they don't understand the the kind of drive there. Uh, I told you all before the show that that I come on uh, this station's morning show every Thursday. And and, and there's this fellow that that tweets about my segment every time that I come on. And last week we were talking about the Amazon drive. And uh, he said that um, 
if workers don't like the employment that they freely agreed to, they are free to seek other employment. And if they were so stupid enough to take such jobs, why should they dictate how the company is run? How would y'all how, how, how would y'all answer that? Like, if a job is bad, do you just take another job? Is that always the answer? In my experience, um, so all of the work I've done since I took the organizer training, um, excluding now I'm a nanny, but I, I worked in preschools in Montana and then Seattle. And in my experiences, like, you love your work and it's awful, you know? So, so there's always kind of, two components to it. Um, I think honestly, even a really good job where there are a few complaints, um, I think elements of organizing are still really useful and feel really good and, and make the workplace better for everyone. Um, but in my experience, it's like, okay, if I quit my job and I take another one, okay, well that, that job sucks too. Like, especially if you're kind of working in the same field, there's often systemic problems where it's like, I can leave this preschool for another one, but I'm going to experience a lot of the same issues. So it, it's more more effective, more empowering, and honestly more sustainable for for workers in the job force if we're kind of staying where we are and improving that place. Um, is how I feel. This question makes me so angry. Um, I don't know who <laughs> signs on for the treatment that workers, especially at Amazon, face. I don't know yeah. who shakes that hand and is like. Yes, I will take this job where I know I'll be on my feet enough. And then they find out, oh, actually, also, I can't take bathroom breaks. And also, I'm going to be put to this efficiency quota that's impossible to make. And even supervisors are struggling. And then they'll be shuffled around and I'll be treated as not human. Um, I think that a person who asked that question, and I don't really want to cast aspersions on someone I've literally never met, um, but I'd, I'd wonder if they've ever had a job where someone treated them like they were less than, hmm. because no one signs on for that. And that happens, I want to say, at every job that every person has. Um, I think it's most obvious at these jobs that people don't want to have, but like must happen. Like someone has to work at McDonald's from Amazon to have two day shipping. Someone needs to be constantly running at their workplace. And so those jobs have to exist. The people who need, who have those jobs should have dignity in their work. Mm -hmm. Every single person deserves dignity in their work and unions are a proven way to take back your dignity. So to me, it's kind of, this question of why do you why do you feel like those people aren't deserving of dignity? And yeah, and and it, in these times, and probably it's been going on for years, but something that that this, I assume he's a gentleman. I don't know. Yes, he is. Uh, what we what what I constantly try to uh, to lay out for people that talk like this is the power dynamic and the balance and for him to come to the understanding that 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 power dynamic what is what we're trying to change and we're trying to implement uh, a democracy in the workplace because at the end of the day the workers are the ones generating the profit for this company so they should have some say uh, and, and an equal say and, and and possibly you know a more equal say uh than than what they have right now 
and you've got these it's it's the this the same bootlicker mentality of if you don't like this go somewhere else if you don't like the way the government's run go somewhere else if you don't like you know it's always go somewhere else and that that's you know that's not that's that's not the solution uh to the answer so what how does the iww you know i guess the 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 question i'd pose to you is how does the iww promote democracy in the workplace because democracy is something that we enjoy talking about in america i would argue that the iww is one of the more democratic unions um so we have very low dues uh we don't have a lot of paid positions in the union we don't do a political affiliations endorsements and all our focus um, and what separates us from what we call business unionism, kind of the big ones, is this idea that two or more workers at a workplace trying to change their work for the better is a union. And that's how we treat it. The As um, outside organizers, as external organizers, as Jenny and I are, I don't participate in their decision making. I'm there to provide assistance. The workers at that workplace are the union and they democratically decide how to make every decision, which grievances to tackle, which tactics to take, how they're going to defend their wins. We really treat the these workplace unions as their own community. And the IWW is just here to help that. Um, we also have this idea that we're trying to make everyone into an organizer. So there's no hoarding of knowledge. There's no paid organizers. We want every person at a workplace to be armed with the knowledge to organize effectively and there's no hierarchy. And I think that that's something that people kind of ping on bigger unions is this like hoarding of knowledge and this like top down like, Mm -hmm. okay, the organizer swooped in and told you what to do and then you did it. And that's just not what we're doing at all. That's the opposite of what we're doing. We're trying to raise up all of those workers so that they have all of the knowledge to do it themselves. And we're just here to help. Yeah, that's something yeah. that really drew me to the IWW early on was the the, the extremely democratic and non hierarchical uh, uh, set lay, layout of the union itself, and and you know that there's a lot to be said for that. You know that mm-hmm. there's pluses and minuses yeah. because it 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 is incumbent upon the workers to learn how to. Uh, you know their leverage points and their pressure points and what they can and can't do uh but so so there's a big learning curve for workers there unlike what you see in a traditional trade union or a business union but once they've learned those uh internal workings then uh the, the dynamics open much wider because you don't have one person uh dealing with the company you have a group a collective which is what uh, what initially what the union was supposed to be about Hmm. yeah yeah well uh yeah i think i think that was a a great answer y'all and and so let's let's just go ahead and 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 jump into it you know i I said that y'all are uh y'all are um y'all are trainers with the iww and you've been giving an organizer training the the iww's organizer training 101 to the Huntsville branch, and uh, for for the past month, from noon to three every Saturday, and so, um, so, so you know, I wanted I, I wanted y'all to kind of just give us a brief, like you know, give us the thirty minute condensed, like uh, how does the IWW reckon 
the 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 best way to organize a shop is okay we're gonna condense 12 hours into uh, yeah we're gonna <laughs> condense it to, yeah 12 hour to you know a 12 hour training into into 30 minutes no no uh no pressure no role plays the iww is big on role plays we think the best way to practice something is to actually just do it so we'll just not we'll cut out that um i'd say what we just were talking about and what david was just said is the beginning of our training um we have to introduce people to the iww um we provide this training for members and non-members um they're usually pretty localized but over a weekend but now it's obviously over zoom because of the pandemic and um, yeah, we have to tell people who the IWW is because people think that we like died out in the fifties with like the with some of the um, branches that we're managing that kind of dissolved. Um, so that's kind of a hey, how yeah, we're the IWW, we still exist. That's right. exciting. Um, and then we really dig into the first steps of forming the committee. Um, so the first step of any committee is you gotta know your workplace. Uh, so that includes gathering contacts and creating what we call a social map. Um, I actually think Jenny describes social maps better than I do, so I'm just gonna make her do it. Yeah, so we, we're trying to understand, you know, we always like to say that your workplace is already organized. We're just trying to reorganize it in a way that is beneficial to the workers and builds that worker power. So the social chart, is all about understanding how, how people are already connected, who talks to whom, who doesn't like someone, like who plays D&D together, um, who has the same shifts, who never overlaps in the workplace. And it's just all about like, you know, we and we draw it out. Um, we always recommend, I think like, it's like bubble.us, B-U-B-B-L.us or something. I like to hand wrap though, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's literally charting who is at your work um, so that we can identify like, who's a social leader, um, who has a lot of influence in the, over your coworkers. So we're not talking like bosses and management, but who is an influential person over other coworkers? Um, who are you connected to? How, how should we approach basically, how do we strategically approach talking to coworkers about what we're doing, about organizing a workplace? Um, and we also do workplace mapping, which just is pretty similar. I don't know if Molly wanted to add anything about social charting. Yeah, and the reason why we start with this like strong base of knowledge is that um, kind of organizing looks similar to a pyramid. I know this is an audio format, so I'm just going to describe a pyramid. Um, the base is understanding your workplace. You can't do anything at that workplace without knowing exactly what's going on, the social dynamics, maybe the hierarchy of the internal management. And then the next steps are going to be one-on-ones, which is we think the best way to move the movement forward is to have one-on-one -on -one personal conversations with a purpose with your coworkers. And funnily enough, this is like a stumbling block for a lot of people. Um, talking to your coworkers is terrifying. Um, so after you talk to your coworkers and hopefully go through um, a fun acronym we have, which is AEIOU, the, the vowels, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, once you basically built people up, then you get to practicing democracy. So now we're kind of in the like sugars, fruits and vegetables part of the food pyramid, you know, further towards the top. Um, and practicing democracy is less of your time, but it's so important and it's built on knowing your workplace and those personal relationships. And then the very tip 
of the pyramid, the thing that you do the least, but takes the most effort is actual action, direct action. So when people think of a union, they think of strikes. They think of standing on your workplace and screaming union, or like standing on the table and screaming union. Uh, but actually what unionizing is, is just the rest of that pyramid. It's checking your contact sheets, uh, making sure that your social map reflects maybe new information you know about somebody like, oh, we just found out that Jim is Bob's cousin. Got to put that on there because Bob's the boss and it's important to know that information. Those personal conversations, they take a lot of time, they take a lot of effort and you need to do them compassionately. So that's also some time. And then practicing democracy is the base like is the bedrock of how we're making these decisions. There's no one man shop, it's everybody together. And then every now and then you engage in direct action and then fight for your wins. Um, and that's something that we really, we really think is important, especially with um, some of the like bigger movements that people have been seeing like the Alphabet Workers Union. Mm-hmm. We, we, want, we hope and we pray that those organizers are really doing the one-on-ones and knowing their workplace before they move forward because they're what they're 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 using the term minority union um we don't use that i actually don't really like that term um because it's kind of defeatist like you're never going to get to the majority if you call yourself a minority union uh what we do we call solidarity unionism which is the solidarity of your coworkers is what holds you together and what keeps the union moving forward yeah yeah and and you know you you mentioned that about how the the you you can think of of the pyramid of of organizing your workplace like you think about the food pyramid you know you need to have uh, a lot of grains and you need to have uh you know some stuff with protein and then at the tippy top you get kind of your dessert you get the you you get your direct action or, or the things that everybody thinks about you know the things that gets everyone excited but you've got so much you've you've got to eat so much bread you've got to have so much protein before you can rip before you can healthily engage in that direct action and you know uh, talking about how how important the social mapping is and the workplace mapping is uh in doing the one-on-ones which is the next step in the pyramid you know when when you're trying to think strategically about how to do one-on-ones who to do one-on-ones with obviously like you said, we don't like the term minority union. We like the term solidarity unionism, which, which it, you know, is, uh, but, but uh, because obviously you ultimately want everybody in the union, more or less. And uh, more. E- even more. Yeah, yeah. E- even <laughs> if, you know, even if they have, um, even if they have political disagreements with you, right? Like we're not, this is something that I think by now, I hope even the conservative listeners in the audience know that we're not going to exclude conservative people in our unions. We can't. We can't. Not in Alabama. And so, um, you know, but, but uh, uh, if you've got, if there's like a social hang up, between like it's personal it's not even political let's say like you know jimmy just doesn't like me right that's that you know it's just a personal thing that can't get in the way of our organizing and so you know i'm not going to be the one to talk to jimmy maybe maybe i get Susie to talk to jimmy maybe they maybe they hang out sometimes or, or maybe they're friendly you know i get Susie to talk to jimmy doing the one-on-one instead of me and, and that's how you you kind of um you navigate these these uh uh um, but, you know, at the same time, what you're talking about, you know, is one of the things that, that's really great about the unions is the fact that it removes that nanny 
Uh, no, no disrespect. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it removes that nanny mentality of the boss to where the workers actually come together as a group and solve issues between their selves, you know, collectively, as opposed to running to tell mama mm-hmm. that, that Jim Bob, uh, you know, called me a name. Yeah, Jimmy and I want, my feelings. I want him fired now. Right. It, it forces people to act like adults in the workplace and, and and builds that solidarity there and builds communication. It really does what 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 most of the media and and most of the rest of the world don't want you to do, and that's talk to each other mm-hmm. and, and and listen to people. You know, and that's that's one of the beautiful things about about being in a union. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And also, we have a we have a loose structure for how you do those one on ones. Um, that I, I, I'm sure you want us to talk about it because it, we see these battles all the time. Um, so it goes A E I O U. The A is agitate. Um, you start those conversations by asking your coworkers what is bothering them, what is going on with you. You don't start with hey, we should form a union, or hey, I heard you're conservative. Uh, You probably hate unions, but I think they're cool. Let me convince you of my point. No, they, every person has a, has something going on at their work that's really bothering them. And so you start with that. What's bothering you about what's happening at their workplace? And you engage in active listening and you spend 80% of that conversation, hopefully listening to them and 20%, your 20%, talking a little bit about what's going on with you and asking leading questions because you actually are curious about what's going on at their workplace or with them. And I think that that like natural curiosity about how other people are doing at your workplace is something that is hard for people to, it's like a muscle they've never used because we're always taught to kind of keep, keep that, not supposed to swear keep that to yourself um like keep keep everything that you're feeling and just tell your spouse tell your kids tell your mom or your dad don't tell your coworkers. and that is that's the whole point is you don't tell your coworkers, and then no one ever finds out so that's a and then jenny you should do e we'll go back and forth <laughs> and um, we've got about a minute left in the segment so just letting y'all know all right how about we do that there what the letters stand first. So we have agitate that Molly just talked about, educate, inoculate, organize, and then the U. Um, some people say like the union makes us strong, push, and you like capitalize the U. That's what I usually do. There's uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of debate around that, but it's it's the follow up. Yeah. So you're yeah. educating workers about unions through stories and questions. You're inoculating them against their fears about the union. You're organizing them, giving them a task. So you'll see we actually went through a bunch of emotions before we got to task giving. Mm-hmm. And then the U is union, follow up, pushing people to do better, finding out what the what's holding them back and then supporting them. Right. And and you know, the the way that it's structured, it, it, it's not you're you're not going to go through all of those letters in every single one-on-one that you have, um, you know, you, maybe you only do one, uh, one or two, and one one-on-one, and um, you know, I think that's important. W- one of the things that I actually heard in in one of my first in my first OT 101 with the 101 with the IWW was that you don't want to drop the U bomb right away, <laughs> right? You want to, and it's not even it's not to. Um, 
you know, be sneaky. It's like you really want to figure out what these people, what your coworkers need before you try to bring them in, uh, before you try to sell them something. So uh, we're going to talk more about that on the other side. Stay tuned. Folks, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator, David Story. We've got on the line uh, Molly Dice and Jenny Zundel, organizer, uh, organizer trainers with the IWW. We are talking about we are we're just kind of just just sprinting through the OT 101 that the IWW gives and and we've talked about understanding your workplace, how important that is in an organizing drive because you're not going to like you're not going to be able to organize a union at your workplace if you don't know what the people care about. If you don't know what's getting at them, if you don't know who likes who or the social maps, uh, like like what what the social relationships are, you're just not going to be able to do it. I, I, you know, you can't go into a workplace where workers are totally fine with their compensation and be like, don't you want to make, make more money? When what they care about is uh, their control over their labor. Like, they want to have more of a say in what the company does. You're not going to be able to convince them to join a union if you don't speak to their issues. And uh, so we talked about understanding your workplace. We talked about how one-on-ones are so important to that, how having these conversations with your coworkers is so important and integral in any organizing drive. And the IWW has a... Um, has a mnemonic device, A-E-I-O-U, that they use to help structure organizing conversations. And so we're going through that now. We talked about how agitating, you know, that's why that that's why I say that, you know, David and I are agitators because we, we want to try to to bring up what folks feel is missing what and maybe what they've never articulated before and and um, well we don't want to bring it up what we want to do is open their minds to what they're missing right 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 and and so uh, you know it's obviously the dynamic is going to be a lot different when you're having a conversation with somebody rather than you know monologuing on the radio you 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 know like uh, molly said you want to do an 80 20 thing you want to really listen to them you want to be listening to them 80 percent of the time and only talking 20 percent of the time to really understand what their problems are because you don't you know it's not about you the the uh, you know even though union has you in it it's not it's not about you it's about uh the, your co-workers it's about everybody and so um y- y'all y'all talked about last week how important it is to pair agitation with education how you don't want to just you know bring up those feelings there's a lot of feelings involved in an organizing drive you don't want to just bring up those kind of negative feelings and leave them hanging you want to educate them a little bit talk to us about that yeah so like Molly said when you're agitating you're you're trying to uncover these emotions um and a lot of these emotions are really negative they're they're hurt their fear their powerlessness um, a lot of times it's hopelessness and that's a really, really hard one to, to kind of receive and to, to, to engage with. Um, but it's a really big one. Um, a lot of it's anger, despair. Um, and so you're, you're trying to agitate and like trying to force or, or, or help people, I guess. I don't want to, I don't want to say force, but like 
support people through uncovering those emotions and like stop looking away from them because we do that to cope with our workplaces. Um, but once we have all of these raw emotions out, it's, it's really unkind to just like bounce after that. Um, so we always say, if you agitate, you have to do some education, um, because education is where we bring in that help. Um, and education is still 80, 20, um, which can be hard for people. You know, it's, it's, it's the part where we want to be like, here's a bunch of stories I know about really successful unions, successful IWW shops. Like, I want to tell you all of these things about how we could have a better workplace. Um, and so we really, it's, it's a lot of holding ourselves back as the person who's trying to organize a coworker. Um, but so it's still the 80, 20 rule, but instead of, um, it's more leading questions rather than the open-ended questions of agitate. We're trying to lead people to this conclusion that if we used collective action, if we came together as coworkers, we would be stronger. We can make some of these changes. Um, and we really want to keep it grounded. Like we're, I see a lot of hopelessness in, in agitation. Um, and, and that often really happens if we're getting into these really big picture issues, like these really deep despairs about issues that, that really aren't grounded on the day-to-day issues. Like they're things that we can't solve for um, quickly, at least, you know, it's, it's a long ways out. Um, so always trying to bring it back to like, what is an issue that would improve our lives that we can really take on right now? Like, um, you know, Molly has a great example of when she worked at a museum, they were able to get water bottles. Um, so they, they could drink water at the museum. Um, and that is, that makes such a big difference, but it's like small and we can kind of come to a place where, where we feel hopeful and we feel excited and we're making a change. Um, and, and we're seeing that change. Education is through that collective action process. What happens when we come together? Yeah, and and you mentioned uh, last week when when you were talking about educating, a lot of times people have these answers in themselves, even if they don't know it. Yeah. You know, they'll be talking about a problem, and they'll and and you know, instead of telling them how to fix it, ask them how they how they reckon it can be fixed, and then then your job is to because like you said, there there's there's a lot of hopelessness there, um, even if they understand kind of theoretically that a problem can be fixed after they tell you how that theoretically would happen that's when you can kind of go into some stories about like you know like yeah that's how it would be fixed and like this is how we can make that happen as workers and and you know have some stories ready with uh that that are kind of um similar and relevant in in key ways yeah, so you want to have stories and questions kind of ready to go that are relevant um, and like proportional to the scale that you'd be working at. Um, but I, I think with what you were just saying, Jacob, like it's really important. A lot of times your coworkers will give you answers that you don't want to hear. You know, like we don't think that going to HR is going to be effective or successful. Um, for starters, it doesn't build worker power. Um, the HR person is you know, a peacemaker for your boss, they're like anti-lawsuit protection. Um, but, but people are going to say that, like, let's, let's go talk to HR about that. Um, and it can be really hard as an organizer who is like, we, we shouldn't do that, um, to not just shut someone down. Um, and so that's when we kind of go into inoculate and I can, I'll have Molly talk about inoculate a bit, but it's like, what do you think would happen with that is, is part of inoculate. Inoculate's really big, but kind of walking through, like, what are the possible outcomes of what you're suggesting. Has it been done before? Has it been effective? And like, 
it's really, it's really hard not to just shut someone down, but it's really important to, to really walk through that process with them so they can come to these conclusions and learn things themselves right. uh, rather than feeling like they're, they're just being told no or that, that you're smarter than them. You know, it's just not a very good dynamic for people. Right, right. Yeah, and, that, and I think that's a, that's a great segue. You know, we're, we're talking about bringing up these these issues, talking about educating them, bringing the answers out of themselves uh, to educate them about how we can solve the problems that are agitating them. The next step is inoculating them against what the boss is going to do when we start trying to solve these problems. Molly, you know, what, what happens when, when, you know, what what is inoculation? Yeah, this is, um, I think, before pre-pandemic, we had to describe this metaphor a little bit more, but inoculating is giving somebody a little bit, like kind of a taste of this this bad, um, this virus, and then they themselves can figure out, come up with the antibodies, come up with the reasons to kind of conquer their own fears. Uh, so I think that this is a really important step because the work of organizing is, it's scary. It's scary to, to come together. It's scary to think these big thoughts about how to change your workplace. Um, I think a really common education question and tactic that unions do uh, is like having somebody come into a meeting with your boss with you. That's pretty obvious to unionized workers. That's a part of every contract. But to an ununionized person, that's a pretty radical idea to have somebody come with you when you're going to talk to your boss. Um, so we suggest that pretty frequently. I just helped somebody do that recently. Recently, and they were really afraid about what the boss was going to say. So we we went through the inoculation process, which is basically validating, validating, validating everybody's fear because that's a real fear. They really have that. As Jenny said, you can't just tell them that they're wrong. You have to really walk them through. Why do you think that? What do we think? Are what's happened in the past? What's what's a likely outcome and then how is it going to feel when that happens so for this worker we talked about what her boss was going to immediately react to when she asked to have somebody into the meeting uh and then what would happen if they said no and then what would happen if they said yes and we kind of walked through the whole conversation and her fear about just even asking and then it got to the point where she was feeling still like that fear was in her but she had the ability to see what the possible paths forward are and why we like to use the inoculate phrase for this oh so that worked out very well for the worker she brought the she brought a friend with her she brought a loud dude with her and um he was able to shut down management trying to gaslight her it was a good it was a good situation um but the inoculate also shows the power and the intelligence that's in unions that's with workers coming together because the worker can see that you've already told them the things that might happen you've already told them the union busting playbook so when it happens they're like yes i am ready for this the union was right my boss is going to pull me into this meeting because they can see that I'm agitating. The, we're going to have a captive audience meeting, which for people who don't know, a captive audience meeting is when your boss pulls all the workers in together and is like, you're on the clock and you have to sit here and listen to me. And that's a space where they oftentimes, like especially in the No Evil Foods case, which I think y'all talked about pretty recently, those meetings were used as a cutthroat weapon to cut out union sentiment between the people who are on the fence. And that's a dangerous thing. There is a union busting playbook. It's literally written out. Um, so inoculation is our tool to fight that, to, to fight the boss in their like emotional warfare that they're doing. Cause that's what it is. 
they are trying to get you to emotionally not want a union because logically it doesn't make any sense. Right, right. And, you know, you, that's that's so important uh, because if if a worker hears one of these anti-union talking points, uh, you know, I mean, we can go to the Amazon's anti-union website to kind of look if, if you want like the standard, <laughs> the standard like, uh, you, you know, um, just uh, hot off the rack uh, kind of anti-union talking points. You know, they sound really silly to us, but like to a worker who hasn't been inoculated that they've never heard these before you know you're you're thinking about oh i'm gonna have to pay five hundred dollars in dues oh i'm gonna have to be uh uh you know forced on strike you know these are the you know they're all untrue or they're missing critical context but like if you same game if you don't get right if you don't get to them first and inoculate them which is which is why the analogy works so well because like with the coronavirus if you get inoculated against it if you get the vaccine it's not going to hurt you if you come into contact with it but if you come in con- into contact with the virus before you get inoculated it can really wreak havoc it's the exact same way with uh, uh, with these anti-union talking points if you hear them first and you hear them from a union organizer and you hear how they are BS, then it's not going to hurt you when the boss says it because you've already heard it. You know he's lying to you. You know he's misrepresenting the facts, and it's it's not going to get to you. Um. So the you know the the next thing is A E I O, organize. Talk to us about that. After you've educated them, you've a- agitated them, you've you've got them inoculated against the boss's lies. What do we do next? Um. Yes. Yeah, so organize is all about the task. Um. So to bring people into the union we need to give them a task. Um, and that's for a bunch of reasons. Um, it's so that it's not just one person doing all of the work. We want it to be democratic and spread out. Um, and we want to avoid burnout. It's also so that people are invested in the union. They have this buy-in. Um, if we're not contributing to the union at all, you know, you know, why, why, why do we care? Why would we move forward? Um, so it's, it's such an integral part, um, in the early stages. Um, and I mean, throughout, throughout the organizing, of course, but to, to bring people in originally, giving them a task is so important. Um, and I see a lot of campaigns try to use inviting someone to a meeting as a task. Um, and I just have to say, I think that's, uh, such a common error to make. Um, but I, that I want to bring it up because that's, I, I think it's really shooting yourself in the foot. Um, if someone comes to a meeting, that's not really a task. They're coming in. They feel like an observer. They often feel really like outside of the union. Um, if they haven't been integrated into the union well enough, um, it can it can be really weird or confusing or just feel so separate from them. Um, so we want to be giving workers tasks to do that can be helping with the social chart, updating it because people always have different perspectives on that. It can be creating a workplace map, which we didn't really talk about, but it's it's physically mapping your workplace. Where are the bosses? Where are the workers? Are there security cameras, et cetera? Um, it can be gathering contact information, creating a grievance list, journaling about the job, um, et cetera. Um, and that's, that's to get people invested and involved and to feel confident and, and a part of things. You know, if, if we don't have a task, it doesn't feel like we're needed. Um, but if we're contributing, it's, it's we're part of this, this union, part of this team where we're contributing, we're important, and it feels, it feels good. It feels good to have a task and to complete a task. And we often want to complete tasks together um, rather than just saying, hey, do this. 
maybe I'll check in with you later, maybe not. That's what Molly will talk about next, the follow-up. Um, but it's, hey, let's sit down together and do a social chart or do your list of grievances and let's let's come back and, and talk about it. I want to hear about that process. Um, it's it's still collaborative, but it's a task. And, and that I'd like to interject here because, you know, we're talking about uh, – about what we're doing to organize a union but at the same time we we have a lot of union members that listen to us constantly and mm-hmm. and part of part of what we like to do is educate our union members as well mm-hmm. and that is one of the big uh differences between the iww and most of your uh industrial unions is you get so much gatekeeping and, and i'm speaking specifically to uh people out there they'll understand exactly what i'm talking about you you get so much gatekeeping in the traditional business union style that's and and i think it's out of it's not from a a uh it's not from a place of wanting to to hurt the union it's it's they think that they get this hero syndrome this hero mentality that oh only i can do this Mm -hmm. or only uh, only this person can do this and we've got to do it this way and and that's so detrimental to the solidarity on the floor you know of those workers and i think that and that really that dynamic is the biggest difference between a business union and and the iww is the fact that you're building power on the floor where it is most useful as opposed to building power in this hierarchical structure where if if x if if this person don't come in and save us then we're mm-hmm. doomed you know and that that's a that's a tremendous that's a tremendous uh dynamic there you know or mm-hmm. a skill there that you're building yeah and i i think that's you know that's why uh, I think that there's a lot of things that that union members in other unions can learn from and and can incorporate into their practice uh, from l- learning about these things from the IWW. And so that's why you know I, I hope that the other union members in the audience get something out of this. Yeah, uh, and and you know David was actually uh, he, he's he's done you know he he's incorporated some of this stuff into his union. I hope to do it into my union. He actually filed the first rank and file ULP in his locals history no and to the best of my knowledge in the internationals history right and no now, one has ever filed wow. a ulp and, and and i come under great heat for that and that's the and now that's common practice in your no, local it's not common right? practice. Oh, okay. well you know <laughs> no it's not common practice but it it, it 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 it's just like we talk about it with this organizing it's baby steps you mm-hmm. don't it's the same way with strikes the first thing right. everybody hears is oh we're, we're if we form a union we're gonna go on strike look yeah this is not about going on strike this is the the strike is the pinnacle is really mm-hmm. the last resort right. of the union but there's so many other steps of that mm-hmm. but you know yeah. it's 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 the baby steps and it's yeah. that incorporating those baby steps to to take back power from the gatekeepers and say no mm-hmm. you're not going to speak for us we speak for us and when we do we will begin seeing better change on the shop floor as opposed to these, just like I said a while ago, these heroes that's going right. to come in and save us. Right. So, uh, you know, Molly and Jenny, if you've got anything to add to that, feel free, and then go. you can go right into the follow-up. The one thing I want to say is... Oh, The one thing I want to say is just, I think you're so dead on with it is baby steps. It is patience. Um, sometimes it is excruciating patience. Um, it's painful. And that 
if you're if you're not even inoculated against that, that it's not going to be an overnight thing. Um, but it it takes so much time to to do the foundational work, and then to talk to your coworkers, and then it's not going to be one conversation in there. And um, I think ugh, I need to look at this this statistic. I always try to cite it, and I I don't know what it's about. But it's um, I I want to say it's from a teachers union from some union um, who who has the statistic that it's like it takes about seven one-on-one conversations um, with a coworker before they like move up and they're like assessment value, um, which is like, you know, how we do our assessments. It's like a one, if they have completed a task, they've acted in favor of the union. Two is they um, are vocally in favor of the union. Three is they're in the middle. Four is they're vocally opposed to the union. Five is they've acted against it. Six, we don't know. Um, so about, on so that's on average it could take much more than that it could sometimes take less but about on average it takes about seven one-on-one times um conversations to move someone up um and that that's you know that's a long time so so yep. patience is so key yeah what i like about follow-up is baked in is the idea that like you can't single-handedly make a union happen you have to delegate tasks it's like the whole, our, we, our big three things for um, any union is IWW unions. We want them to be direct. You're engaging in direct action, actually on the shop floor, democratic, obvious, and then caring. Um, we want our unions to be caring, compassionate, community oriented spaces. So that means, yeah, you got to follow up with people. Um, you have to figure out what's going on with them. This, the, this is where the, the, our kind of our thing kind of falls down because no one can agree with the U is. Um, some people use union, some people use push. Um, I used to be a member of the Seattle branch and we had a member who really liked support and just capitalized the U. Um, but those all kind of indicate different aspects of what this last step is. Um, and I kind of want to spring off into uh, something that David was kind of talking about. It was like the way that our IWW unions are moving forward is with a lot of patience and with a lot of effort and a lot of like really uh, concentrated long-term effort. And I think that 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 speaks to something that sets us apart from a lot of other unions as well, which I know everybody will want to talk about, which is we don't, our unions don't necessarily have to go for an NLRB election. Um, We don't think you need to. Um, Solidarity unionism kind of posits this idea that a, a dedicated committee at a workplace engaging in direct action with escalation plans can hold wins yep. and you don't need a contract. Um, and I mean, we can get in on how contracts, why that idea is, is really attractive and like what why contracts can sometimes and contractualism can kind of be at the detriment of those gains and wins. Um, but our whole our whole process and this whole acronym that we or um, mnemonic that we just went through is all towards this aim that the workers are engaged and they're taking action and defending their wins. And no part of that involved the National Labor Relations Board authorization cards or even like the larger IWW. We're just there to provide support for them. Right, right. And that 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 speaks to something that we constantly talk about, especially on conservative radio, is you have a lot of this mindset that they don't want the government involved. You know, there it's it's this reactionary uh, 
conservatism that you know the nanny state and things like that and and that really speaks to one of the avenues that they have that they're actually mm-hmm. that they're absolutely ignoring is there is a way to work mm-hmm. around all of this, the work around the minimum, the, you know, raising the minimum wage and 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 going through the government for an election, and you mm-hmm. know, and that's building solidarity yeah. in your workplace. Right, it's, sol- it's something that's extremely important. Mm-hmm. And solidarity unionism, you know, it doesn't necessarily preclude uh, going through an NLRB election, getting a contract, or anything like that. But it doesn't, uh, it doesn't um, per- perceive that path as the only path and and you know and and like something that the alphabet workers union mentioned uh, which even though they're calling it minority unionism it's really kind of the same playbook they said that that um really you know that is kind of the traditional mode of you that is really the the that was the original mode of unionism you know we didn't have before the nlra actually when unions were kind of their most powerful we didn't have um, government-backed uh, contracts or anything like that. We had we had worker power and sit-ins and strikes and and uh, picket lines and and things like that. And and we had more union members then than we do now, and and more power then than we do now. And you know, um, and I'm, for how many years? I mean, for how many years has your traditional unions been dismissive of the IWW? And and, and kind of all it's always been a you know a laugh and a joke and yeah the IWW but now you're seeing with the Alphabet Workers Union and and, and especially right. in CWA with the campus workers mm-hmm. they're beginning to realize that there's there's a whole lot more power yeah, I mean, there's there, something there and they're co-opting our our uh, our uh, way of organizing into their unions now. Mm-hmm. So I think I mean, that, yeah, I mean, that speaks a lot to why right. the IWW is one of the better unions out there. Whether yeah. you know they and and it and it should be a coming together of work. You know of solidarity mm-hmm. across unionism in general, as opposed to this continued uh winking and nod of yeah the iww type stuff yeah and i mean you and i mean you and i do that in in our we're both we're both members of uh afl cio unions and and we want to try to incorporate you know the, some of the things to make our unions better we're kind of you know we're dual carters we're members of the iww and other unions we're kind of a ecumenical labor show right we we uh you know we want we want workers to organize if you want to do it with the iww you want to do it with another union like that's great. We want to give you the tools to figure out what you reckon is going to work better, and uh, and and go for it. And know? hopefully use both. Because and hopefully that, use both. And yeah. that, that's the entire point. Is there's benefits and drawbacks to both, but right. you know, there's certainly a, a tremendous benefit to organizing through the IWW or using the IWW. Uh, process because mm-hmm. it builds power unlike any other traditional union does. It yeah. really brings that democratic workforce into play. Yeah. And so Molly, uh, uh, Molly and Jenny, I'll let y'all go ahead and, and run through the uh, run through the rest of your of the OT one hundred and one, and then um, we'll we'll start. We'll bring we'll bring some of the co- we've got a, a caller on the line and and he's been waiting. And, and if you, I, I just saw somebody that I wasn't able to answer the phone. I'm sorry. One eight six six four nine four nine eight six six. We'll get you in the queue. Uh, but Molly and Jenny. Uh, you know, go ahead and finish kinda, up this yeah, fi- four week the, organizing finish program. Up the, uh, yeah, the the OT one hundred and one in you know ten minutes that usually takes four hours, and then <laughs> and then we'll we'll answer a call. 
Yeah. So today, actually, what we're going to do after this, um, the last day, we kind of dig in on uh, direct action. Um, but but really, like the, the what we've just been talking about of the the difference, like the our idea of how we view labor law. That's what our last day is. We're really just um, kind of going through why the IWW thinks that your campaign doesn't have to end in an NLRB election and a contract. And I think that our take on labor law and how that interacts um, with your actual organizing effort is something that makes IWW really unique. And um, as to what you both have said, yeah, we totally do also have contracts. The IWW manages quite a few contracts. Uh, but we let the workers decide dem- democratically. We're the—I I don't think we're the only union out there positing this, but I think we're the best at saying there's actually multiple ways that your organizing effort can go. Uh, pick your—you're a democratically like oriented union. You all can decide where you want this to go. And some for some people that's a contract, and for some people it's a really strong solidarity union. You're telling that's me really that what our you last don't? day is, is just digging in on direct action, our tool to make change at your workplace, uh, and then kind of those next steps of how to keep that going. So, I mean, you're telling me that you don't tell the workers what they have to do? You don't <laughs> overlord on them? And, I mean, that's that's the common talking point. The, yep. big, the big union boss is going to come in and tell you what to do. Yep. Yeah, I, I wanted to um, add to that that while yes, we, we, the workers are the union, they make those choices. We do have contracts. Um, a lot of people in the union, uh, well, what I, what I really love about our training is it is so based in history and, and, you know, history from our conception in the you know early 1900s to many campaigns over the past couple of decades and what we have learned. Um, and what a lot of folks have learned is often when you do go this NLRB route and this contractualism route is, it can really be to the detriment of the union. We have we have some contracts that are really amazing. The, um, a co-op in Chicago just just secured a really good uh, contract. But overall, what we've seen is a lot of committees and, and unions have really lost speed and steam um, because these contracts and the election process is meant to stop direct action. It's um, work now, grieve later model, um, and it. You know the, the process for a lot of this is so long. Um, people feel defeated, and we're really playing in the the employers' field. Uh, they have the resources for the lawyers, for the you know the labor laws on their side. The government is more on their side. Like it's it's such a hard battle for workers, which is why we, I think, what we do well as the IWW and what I think unions do well historically is this collective action, um, and so we we do. I think most organizers um, do try to encourage workers to stay like where we have that power um, because we do see a lot of defeatism and, and campaigns just really slowing down and being hurt by trying to go this NLRB route. But that's not to say we stop them. That's just to say we try to share our stories and the lessons we've learned. And it's important to point out because there's a lot of listeners out there, even even extremely good union members that don't understand when you talk about why Uh, the contracts may not be a good path it's important to point out that what you're talking about is basically for the last maybe 60 to 80 years through contract uh 
negotiations. Basically, I mean, since the NLRA inception, the the point was to create labor peace, and that labor peace come about through putting clauses in a contract that that removed the employees or the members' ability to strike, except for during contract negotiations, and it also, in most cases, in almost all cases, inserted a clause that uh, gave management right. It's called a management rights clause that basically says they have the right to manage the workforce. Right. And those two things are, is is what has been detrimental to yep. uh, to membership power on the floor because it removes all of that power and puts the reliance on a government agency if you can't go through a grievance process, a government agency to solve the problem for you. And that's exactly where we don't want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So David, let's see if, uh, let's see if our caller's still on the line. We've had somebody, um, hanging out, listening. Uh, Randy, you still there? Yes. How y'all doing today? I'm doing good. So, uh, Randy's been listening to the show. We really appreciate you listening. And and uh, Randy is actually he's the uh, he's the president of the local of that uh, that that's organizing that Amazon shop down in Bessemer. So, Randy, thank you so much for listening and, and for hanging on the line with us. And and uh, and and you know and actually, folks that are um, uh, you know folks that are listening um, next week, we're going to be talking to Randy and his lead organizer and some of the workers down there at Amazon for the whole show. So, um, you know, re- really looking forward to that. But, uh, Randy, thanks for listening. And, and uh, what, what you got for us? Well, I just first I want to tell you how much. I, first, I want to tell you how. You there? Hello? Yes. We're yeah. Here. Yeah. We're, we're here. here. We're, we're, we can hear you. Yeah. Okay. First, I want to tell you how much I've enjoyed your show and how much uh, I appreciate it and our membership at the RWDSU uh, appreciates what you do every week and every day of your life trying to organize labor. Uh, and uh, I just want to reemphasize about organizing. I've been in the labor movement for 43 years. I started out at a packing house where I was gutting the hogs, and I got involved in the union, and that's how I got involved in the labor movement. Uh, I like to think I've been uh, successful in what I do, uh, and uh, I'm an organizer at heart. I don't like being referred to as the president uh, of the union, I like being referred to as an organizer of the union, and, a, and that's just what I am. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, one thing I do know is that uh, if the labor movement is going to continue to grow as we have continued to grow at the RWDSU, in the last, uh, since 2011, our membership has went from 4,700 and now we're almost at 10,000, and that's not through merging. That's through hard organizing, and we've been extremely successful with it. We organized the Pilgrim Pride Plan, as you know, in Russellville, Alabama, which I hit up that organizing campaign. We beat the employer three to one, and one thing I can tell you about, uh, and and I say this every day, and this is how we ended up doing what we've done at Amazon. The leaders in the labor movement have to get off their butt and go to work. And they <laughs> I'm have glad to you're saying that, brother. Yeah. I'm glad you're saying that. I am that. so aggravated and, excuse my French, pissed off because we've got so many people that don't want to get up and go to work and educate people about what the labor movement is. This is something that's in my heart. You know, it's this is not a job for me. This is a, this is a calling. If it's not a calling in your heart, Get out of the business. Yep. 
Yeah. Get out of the movement. Yeah, we need and more we people like build this say labor that. movement. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you and can I can organize your you, workplace. And I can tell you that when you put the control in your membership hands and you lead them instead of pushing them, you will build your union. And and building a union and organizing a union, I tell people, is like growing a garden. I'm an old man. You go out there and you till the field up, and then you sow the seeds, and then you have to nurture it. And you have to be out there every day to pull the weeds out. And the weeds are out there because management throws the weeds out there. And we must organize. And we must do it right. And that means get up and go to work. But, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say how much I've enjoyed your your show. Uh, I want to say, you know, hey, we're all in this together. And let's pull together. And and there's too many of us that want to pull one way and one want to go the other direction. We need to put our labor movement together and all pull in the same direction and we will build this union. Yep. All it's right. all about the workers. Yep. Yeah, thanks brother Randy. I appreciate it. Uh, all right, hey, y'all have a blessed day and you know, be careful out there and uh we're looking forward to seeing y'all in the future. All right, brother. Thank yeah, you. we're going to be down there uh, going to be down weekend. there next weekend we're gonna and bringing y'all on the radio so thanks so much brother randy yeah i, I appreciate it uh, molly and jenny y'all have any anything to add to that i mean i love that he emphasizes that it's a garden that's a great metaphor yeah it takes a lot of work you gotta you gotta kind of get in there get your hands dirty like actually actually get in and do all those small steps that lead to a union um I also I love that larger point, um, and I, I I don't I don't want to take it away from him or make it my own in any way. But everyone can organize their own workplace. You're a worker. If you're a worker, uh, you can organize your workplace, and that's really the idea that the IWW posits is that you can become an organizer and you can organize your own workplace. Um, so seriously, if you're interested in organizing your workplace, reach out. The IWW's webpage has a form that you can fill out. You will talk to um, someone via email for a little bit, and then you will get on the line with actual organizers, and they will give you these steps that we just went through, but maybe more tailored to your situation. That's something that I do. I'm an external organizer for the IWW, so you might talk to me. Um, but seriously, everyone can do it. And and the IWW's got you know some of the best, in, in my opinion, some of the best in the business. Mm-hmm. Well, I say business. That's a terrible yeah. analogy. Ain't it? But I mean, they've got some <laughs> of the best in the, in the in the movement. You yeah. know, we had Max on mm-hmm. a few what maybe two months ago. Yep. You know, and and everybody that I have come in contact with as far as organizers through the IWW has just been absolutely amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, they're they're really passionate about it, and you know that's um, the, that's one one of the things that that kind of uh, that does set the IWW apart a little bit is is you know um, uh, it's you know it's 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 not. Um, it, it's it's like really not about a paycheck you know some of so, you know and it, it, there's some staff that like it is their job and it is their paycheck and and you know there, there is that and ultimately i think for a lot of staff and for a lot of folks that are paid uh, by the membership it's not ultimately about the paycheck but for the iww like it's really not like because they don't get one you know so um so uh we've got uh dan from madison on the line now and um he is 
and then uh, David's answering the phone. We got somebody else calling in. So, uh, so, so Dan from Madison, he's called in a few times, and we really appreciate him calling in. He's a good brother from uh, the uh, Letter Carriers Local 462 here in uh, North Alabama. They're actually uh, they're actually uh, uh, working on affiliating with our labor council. So we appreciate uh, we we appreciate that. And Dan, we appreciate you calling in. You had a you wanted to tell a story about. Um, the union uh, saving your job, and then um, asking, and then you had a question for us. Well, I'm not so much a union. Union's going to save everybody's job. That's what they're there for. Uh, but they're also there for your benefits, which I have very good ones. So, you know what? I'm all I'm all for it. I have no problem. And I, and I, I'm, it's awesome that I have a union. I'm very fortunate and blessed. But I have a question in my puzzle. Puzzle you, and I need I need an answer because it's something that did happen. And now we got to figure out how to help these people. They lost the uh, the pipeline that uh, I just had. A, what was the name of the pipeline? I just had a mental thought. I've, I've got it written down. Keystone. The Keystone. That's yep. right. The Keystone pipeline. These people have lost their jobs, and these jobs are high-paying jobs. You're talking over a hundred thousand dollars plus, and these people have lost their jobs of a stroke of a pen. And these are also people that voted for the uh, Biden that is pro-union. So what do we do for the people that have lost their jobs? And mind you, these jobs also benefit other people that live in these communities because hotels have to put these people up. And the hotel entrepreneur, he makes money also, or she does also. So where do we go from here? How do we help these union members uh, and and the, where, where are they going to find high-paying jobs if they go back home and there's no high-paying jobs and they lost their job? Right. So I, 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 it's a tough question, and I, you know, I'm hopeful you can give me some answers. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. And, and you know, and we did. We we've got a YouTube channel, uh, the Valley Labor Report. You can go there, and we did a segment last week or the week before that where we went through some of uh, the Biden administration's first acts. That they and and we did talk about this, and and you know, there, there's a few things to think about. For one, actually, um, a pipeline is ultimately going to be fewer jobs than transporting oil and gas via truck and 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 things like that. So you're actually going to end up employing more people if you do it uh, if you don't have a pipeline than if you do have a pipeline so that's one thing um, that doesn't now um, uh, now uh that doesn't necessarily help the people that would have, the pipe fitters that would have been, but you know, the pipe fitters put the Teamsters out of work, right? When, because that, that's, I mean, that's ultimately what would have happened. Um, but, you know, the pipe fitters, the electrical workers that are, that are going to be on that job, they're part of these international unions and they have, and one of the things that is good, one of the things that's really good about being in the trade unions is that if work dries up in your area, then you will be able to find a job in another area. The, the IBEW, the pipe fitters they they've got you know if, if work dries up in your area they've got work all over the country all over the united states and canada that you can go to um and and th- so that's a really good thing that these workers can fall back on um additionally the you know we know dan you know here in huntsville what happened with remington they were promising boatloads of jobs and they did not deliver and uh, there are a lot of groups that that reckon that the keystone thing would be similar they promised a lot of a boatload of jobs Currently, there's only a few hundred uh, union jobs that are good paying. 
but currently there's only a few hundred and they reckon the estimate that would that was the ultimate number was probably a bit high so that's another thing to consider and uh, the last thing to consider that I think is probably the most important is that this was on Native American treaty land that we are legally supposed to um, ask their permission for and we did not and in the Constitution it says that our treaties that we make with sovereign nations which these um, Native American tribes are are supposed to be uber alles. Any treaty that we make with another country uh, is supposed to supersede anything, any other considerations. And so, you know, it doesn't matter even if, 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 you can, if you can make a billion jobs on another country's land if the other country says, no, you can't do it, or you don't even ask permission, then, like, we've got to respect their rights uh, to, to their land. And also, we've got to consider it in the full context of what the Biden administration is doing with their other jobs. You know, we, we, we he, he he did a buy American executive order. He did an executive order that's going to be shooting to electrify the uh, government fleet, which is estimated to create one million jobs. And his administration is going to be emphasizing union employment. So I think I think those are all things that we've got to consider um, when and when we're when we're looking at the Keystone situation. And I and that's why ultimately, as a as a union member, I'm not terribly um, you know for for these individual workers. I know that they're going to be able to find employment doing something else, and the unions aren't stupid. They knew that Biden was going to do this, and they knew that it would still be in their interests to endorse Biden over Trump. Um, Are we back and, on the and, yeah, I mean, um, again? But, but, uh, uh, well, hold on. Uh, I got a question then, for you. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think I think that's you know I think that's my I think that's my take. I I think those are all things that are important to consider. And uh, Molly, Jenny, you know, and and here's another thing to consider: uh, the IWW does not endorse politicians at all. No no union uses union dues to contribute to political campaigns. But the IWW does not endorse politicians. Uh, we don't do in, no no union activity goes towards campaigns or politicians or anything like that. But I think that's stuff worth considering Molly Jenny do you have anything to add to that or I just want to say that I, I think that um, with issues like this where it's like intersecting a lot of different issues I guess is the right word um, we all exist in a global labor market and I want to say a global labor movement um, and from what I've seen that pipeline and other really similar ones are going to do serious harm to other workers in that they're going to pollute Native American land. They're going to pollute areas where workers, I mean, if you want to get really like labor focused on it, it's going to harm other workers hmm. and harm other people. And I think in that case, looking at the global labor movement, it's a really good idea for us to not do harm and for uh, us to show solidarity with each other about that. Well, I have a I have a question. One more question. I'll hang up. And thanks again for letting me talk on the radio. Um, oh yeah. The question I have. Well, the question I have is, and I, I I'll give you my opinion when I ask you the question, and then you give me your opinion. I think it's safer to have a pipeline than travel on wheels, eighteen wheelers, wind tankers that could easily a car could cut across the ta and hit a tanker head on. Uh, they could slip on on uh, ice, whatnot. So I think it's safer to transport in the pipeline than it is in a in a vehicle. Don't you agree? Uh, you know, I, we talked about this last week, and I think you're absolutely correct. I think the administration 
has done and not just this administration previous administrations as well has done a lot of bloviating around the uh environmental impact that the pipeline may or may not have uh you know but the 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 thing for me is they're they've they've run this pipeline in many places through eminent domain and if you're a conservative and if you believe in conservative values stealing someone's land and especially stealing tribal land of people that we've already exploited for a hundred years it flies in the face of everything you believe and anybody that stands up for that doesn't stand up for conservative or so-called conservative values or liberal values or really any values yeah i mean you know that i i had a lot of stuff that i laid out but i think that's really the the biggest that's really the 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 linchpin in the thing is that this wasn't our land to do a pipeline on and so like there's not you know there's not really much of a conversation to have after that you know if it's not ours to do with that's so that's you know i mean that's that that's uh amazing whenever you make a point all of a sudden somebody hangs up well no he said he said no he said he was gonna yeah he 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 was like i'm gonna ask you i'm gonna ask you the i'm gonna ask you the question i'm I'm gonna get off the air but but you know dan we appreciate we appreciate you calling in and and you know i I think it's you know it's important to have these conversations with you know folks that may have differing opinions or or worldviews and and you know and and we're all uh you know we're we're still brothers in the labor movement it goes back to the same thing we talk about every week and everything in the media is is created to divide people hmm. and and that is one thing that you're not going to hear on this show is a division among among uh crappy ass political panderers is right and left we're going to try to do our best to cut through the bs and tell you exactly uh you know the 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 crux of the matter hmm. and, and and when you have people call in talking about and it's on both sides the oh well, the environmental impact of the pipeline the environmental impact is going to be a hundred times worse with trains and trucks driving it because that that is 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 crap oil is shell oil that's imported from canada going to the gulf coast being sold to china because nobody in america will refine the crap so and they're and they're delivering it right now and they've been delivering it for for 10 15 years so the the environmental impact is going to be much greater but at the same time you can't steal tribal people's land you can't steal anybody's land but especially especially the native american land (laughs) yeah they've got a little left what kind of of crap is that yeah that's it's also no one shows solidarity with native causes like our history has shown that we we have America has no solidarity with Native people, and that needs to stop, and it needs to change. Um, and I think I think you're totally right. That's the that's the overarching overarching issue, and that's what we need to look at. But I mean, speaking to the environmentalism, we know that we need to move away from this. Yes. Why don't we start now? Yeah. I think right. that it's really obvious that solar and wind are where the jobs are. Why don't we talk about that? Mm-hmm. Like we're moving away from this obviously it, it exists it's the what's happening right now we need to deal with like how we deal with oil right now because it's 2021 and it's still happening but looking towards the future we really need to shift how we do stuff yep. so yeah let's do it let's put our money where our mouth is let's put union jobs let's put more effort into these 
types of energy that are going to take us into the future. Pipe fitters and electrical workers, like they're going to get jobs when we're talking about making wind turbines and, and throwing up solar panels and stuff. You yeah. know, that's that's the exact professions that, that we're going to need to actually build to, up yeah. a, a, an efficient and clean and sustainable energy source. And you constantly have these people that want to talk about uh, about how far we are behind every other country, and especially China, because this is this seems to be the talking point nowadays. Is China, 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 Joe? America has always been innovative. They've always driven the innovation, and it seems to me like here lately the, the right wants to regress. And what we need to be doing is, like you just said, investing in moving into the future. If you want to, if you want America to continue to be the leader, supposedly, you know, then invest in the future. Get away mm-hmm. from this crap and and start because it's going to put people to work. They're going to invest in uh, educational resources, in uh, development resources, as far as developing uh, a better a better form of you know it's it, uh, this uh, solar panels and things like that mm-hmm. let's get away from it if you want to be the leader then let's start doing it but you can't lead from behind saying we need oil yeah we need oil right now but we also need to be investing in clean energy right. because it's coming at one point whether you appreciate it or not i mean china's building most of your panels right now mm-hmm. why aren't we building them in america yeah because nobody wants to invest in america yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so, so you know, Molly, Jenny, we we got a uh, we got a little bit um, sidetracked off of actually organizing, talking about, and you know, I think I think it's relevant. You know, people are talking about it; they want to see what union folks think, and and so that that's all fine and good. But uh, you know, we we had uh, had y'all on to talk about organizing and how to do it, and so we've got about five minutes left, and so uh, you know, let let let's talk about that. Let's talk about you know. Um, how uh, you know how to organize your work your workplace and like how ha, uh, um why you should do it stuff like that have y'all got any kind of closing thoughts type stuff yeah um i want to say if you're if you're out there listening um that i i can't recommend our organizer training program enough taking an ot 101 um if you are not a member um see if there's a branch um a in your area, there's one in Huntsville, you know, we're currently doing their training for them. Um, right now it's really unique. It's, it's online because of COVID. Um, so even if there's not a branch in your city, if there's one in your state, um, uh, we also have been doing some like, uh, trainings for at large members. Um, but I, I, I think a lot of this information is out there online. A lot of wobblies, which is what we call ourselves, um, have written about it. Um, so you can find a lot of this information online, but I think, attending a training is so invaluable the mm-hmm. the conversations the role playing um it's it's so interactive and engaging i think there's a little bit lost with the zoom training but i still think it's really really useful i would just recommend also doing it online once it's or offline once it's safe um but i i, I really think that our training is i mean for me it's it's the like the reason why i am a wobbly it's i think it's such a beautiful model it is strategic but it's also so caring um i feel like the model that we use is really in line with with how i feel my like values my morals but also how i think it makes so much sense to me um i really just can't underscore how amazing this training is um and to take it a few times you'll have different trainers different trainers have different beliefs different things that they emphasize but i think through and through it's an amazing training um get yourself to it if you can 
Yeah, and we've taken it. I mean, we've hosted the training twice. So once mm-hmm. last year, once again this year, this being the final week. And, yeah. you know, we, uh, and we may try to. It's been wonderful. Yeah. And, and it's nice seeing the dynamic but play mm-hmm. out between because we've had a completely different group of workers this mm-hmm. time and different group of instructors. And, yeah. And unfortunately, we're doing it over Zoom this time. So it's a little bit yeah. different than the last time when we've done it in person. But mm-hmm. I, I think, that, you know, even over Zoom, yeah, there's a little bit lost. But I think. Uh, yeah, you still get to do the role plays. You still yeah. get to do that and yeah. have that it's really, interaction. It's really great. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that we, we missed this time is David's cooking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. man, Molly what? and Judy, y'all, y'all really missed out. David is David is really good at cooking. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'd say my final remark is, is I sound like a broken record, but organize your workplace. Everyone can do it. Um, as Jenny said, I think our training will really like light a fire in you about how it's possible. It'll give you the, the tools or you can organize your workplace. Yeah, that, that's great. I think that I think that's a really good uh, that's a really good place to wrap it up. You know, organize your workplace. The IWW is online. IWW.org. You can thank go there. Y'all. Yeah, thank um, y'all so much for spending an hour and a half with us this yeah, morning. Yeah, we really enjoyed it. And they're on the West Coast, so they got up at like seven this morning to talk to us. So thank y'all so much for hanging out. We will see Molly and Jenny here in about an hour. We'll see the rest of y'all next week. <laughs>